0: Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible study. This is session 104. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at Paul's uh, first letter to the Thessalonians. So a little background on this letter before we actually get into the text. This, believe it or not, was thought to be the first of Paul's letters written and perhaps even the first book of the New Testament that was written. So, why is it in the order that it comes in? Because you may recall we said that um, when the Bible was, when the New Testament was organized in the form that we have it today, they listed Paul's longest letters first, and then as they got shorter, they got moved back. So, it's not, uh, they were not, listed in, in sequential order of when they were written, but rather by the length of the book. So this is thought to be the first letter and perhaps the first book of the New Testament, probably written about 50 AD. So to put that in perspective, you know, 15, 20 years after the death of our Lord, it was uh, written probably from Corinth, where Paul also visited. Um, it was written after Paul had visited uh, the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, which is in current-day Greece. And if you want to read more about his visit uh, in, to Thessalonica, uh, you need to read Acts chapter 17. So it might be a good background before you read this letter To go back and read Acts chapter 17, I'll summarize it, spoiler alert, it did not go well for the most part in Paul there. Uh, He was very poorly treated, run out of town, you know, it, it did not go well. Yet, he was able to establish a church there at Thessalonica, despite all of the opposition. So now these people in Thessalonica that Paul is writing to after the fact are also under persecution and, uh, you know, from the Roman authorities, from the Jewish synagogues, etc. And so it's it's not a great time for, for them. And so he has written this letter to them to encourage them in light of persecution There is one unique aspect of Catholic doctrine that he touches on, and we'll certainly get to it. Um, But suffice it to say, back in Acts chapter 17, um, he visited this city of Thessalonica, which was um, about 200,000 people at that time. It still exists today, and it's a large city, in fact, today, and... A, a riot started, started during his first visit, and he had to leave town. After he left town, he subsequently sent Timothy, who we will read about in Paul's letters to Timothy, back there to see how the believers survived all of the persecution that was going on uh, there. Okay, so enough about the background. We'll dive into this a very short letter it's it's 5 chapters long he gives an introduction as he always does kind of a, a very extended greeting nothing new there he refers beginning in chapter 2 to his previous visit and uh you know he says i i know that you guys have suffered i've suffered i drew courage from you And um, verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, As we were judged, he and his traveling companions, worthy by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that is how we speak, not as trying to please human beings, but rather God who judges our hearts. So I would encourage you to underline verse 4, the second part, where he says, not as trying, uh, how we speak, not as trying to please human beings, but rather God. And that's always a struggle for all of us, isn't it? So if you have a choice between pleasing God and pleasing man, hey, your eternal, uh, your e- eternity is based on uh, God, of course, your relationship with him, long after the man is, is gone. So now we have a little bit of a doctrine uh, statement in verse 13. He says, the second part of it, uh, in receiving the word of God from hearing us, because remember, this is Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and he had visited them some time before. Receiving the word of God from hearing us, you received not a human word, but as it truly is the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. So we as Catholics believe that the word of God is communicated not just through the written scripture, but rather uh, orally as well through apostolic tradition. Paul is an apostle, uh, not one of the original 12, but he, he is an apostle. And so we recognize the uh, transmission of uh, oral tradition. So that's why you may want to um, underline the second part of verse 13 of chapter 2 and maybe circle the word hearing us. And in your margins, you might want to write oral tradition. Now, uh, he he repeats several things that we've seen in other letters in in uh, chapter four talks about sexual conduct and uh, nothing new there but it's certainly not uh, less important. Uh, it talks about uh, marriage within the context of uh, of sexual conduct <coughs> and. Uh, Talks about charity. Now we get into an area that shouldn't be controversy at all. You tell me if you think that this is controversial. It has become controversial amongst uh, non-Catholic, but yet fundamentalist uh, type type Christians. Um, bear in mind. That the, Thess- the church at Thessalonica had an idea that Christ was coming again and uh, in an imminent fashion. You know, is, is Christ going to come next Tuesday? Is Christ going to come next Thursday? Etc. cetera. And some in the church were troubled that there were new believers who were, who had died in between the time of Paul's first visit and the time of the receipt of this letter. And so they're wondering, well, wait a minute, Uh, what's going to happen to those folks who have died waiting for Christ's coming? Uh, Did they get left behind? Don't they get to go to the party, so to speak? And so Paul writes to reassure the people who are left that, hey, if someone believed in Christ, they then will be raised, uh, ultimately at the at the at the second coming, that is to say, their souls would be would be with Christ um, you know, after, after they die, but their bodies will also be raised at the second coming, which hasn't hasn't come yet. So let's read this from verse 13 on. We do not want you to be aware unaware, brothers, unaware brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that is to say, died, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So if you don't believe in in the resurrection, then you really have no hope. That's why I kind of feel sorry for atheists because they think when they die, all that all that happens is the worms eat them, and that's that's the end of it. Um, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, and all that comes with that belief, as we talked about before, so too will God through Jesus, bring with him those who have fallen asleep, who died. So, in other words, hey, the party is for the dead who believed, as well as for us who are still alive and believe. Verse 15, Indeed we tell you this on the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself with a word of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Trumpet, you might want to underline trumpet. In the Old Testament, a trumpet always uh, implied, you know, victory, triumphant. Uh, maybe that's where the word triumphant comes from. You know, power, majesty, etc. cetera. Um, and with the trumpet of God... Will come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall, shall, in other words, the believers, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore console one another with these words. Now to me that's a fairly straightforward reading and to the Catholic Church that's a fairly straightforward reading. So bottom line is to summarize if you died as a believer in Christ then you know you will be at you your soul will be with with Christ and you may need a little cleaning up in purgatory before that point but once you're clean you go to you go to heaven your soul goes to heaven and then at the second coming you will get a body, a resurrected body, and as the good news is, it won't have any of the, of the shortcomings of the body that you have here. So if you're blind here, you get to see there. However, that works. We don't, we don't know, but there will be no uh, imperfections in heaven, so to speak. Okay. So to me, that's pretty clear. So, but having said that, along came a guy. In, you know, the 1830s, 40s, 50s. And the guy's name is John Nelson Darby. Now, he was a Protestant. And he cobbled together a number of verses to come up with this, I, this, what's called a rapture theory. And that is that, um, when, when, when Christ comes again, that all the Christians will be raptured out, uh, and that they will avoid all of the tribulations that are talked about in the in the book of Revelation, and all the bad folks will will be left on earth, and they will have to go through the tribulation, but not the Christians. Okay. So this—and nobody taught—well, the idea of a rapture, that is to say, when Christ comes again, we all rise, we're fine with that as, as Catholics. Where we have problems with, uh, with the doctrine is it's extended to say, hey, the Christians won't have to go through the tribulation. And we'll talk more about the uh, tribulation when we get to the book of Revelation. But anyway, uh, this trying to predict the future is problematic. We saw in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus himself said, "No one knows, not even I know, as as a human being, when the end will come." So be prepared, right? You know, be like those the the virgins in that one parable who are waiting for the bridegroom. Be prepared, right? Well, anyway, this John Nelson Darby came up with a theory. He cobbled together some verse. This would be a series of verses here in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And he looked at another verse in uh, one of the letters to the Corinthians. And then he got even more bizarre. He looked back in the Old Testament at uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, which we will cover uh, when we get to the Old Testament, and then he looked at some passages in uh, Revelation, and he decided that hey, uh, when Christ comes and we we expect him to come soon, and uh, all the Christians will be left behind. There is a very uh, popular series of books and movies. At least it was very popular. In the nineteen nineties, the two thousands, and and um, and whatnot, the left behind books and movies, and um, th- there was a a, a Bible uh, r- r- scholar uh, who kind of glommed on to Nelson John Nelson Darby's theory, and his name was C. I. Schofield. and he. Uh, developed the Schofield Reference Bible, which is a Bible that has a lot of his notes on what things mean. There's nothing wrong with uh, a a Bible with notes in it. My hope is that you are developing your own Bible that has plenty of uh, notes in it. But the problem is that uh, his notes were contrary to anything that Anyone believed. I mean, until the 1850s, no one taught this idea that Christians would escape uh, persecution in the, in the end times. Nobody taught that. Not the Catholic Church, not even the, the Protestants of Luther, Calvin, etc. Nobody taught this until the 1850s, okay? Okay. Um, there's a guy on television as we speak, this is the year 2020, his name's Jack Van Impe, I M P E is how he spells his last name. And he is, uh, he's done quite a few programs on when the earth was, is going to end. And he's developed all sorts of theories about how this is going to happen. Uh, you know, the Russians are going to be involved and he, he makes a whole TV show and it's fairly popular out of, and, and, and the food for his, uh, for his thought is the daily newspaper. He'll cut out things about floods or whatever and say, ah, this is a sign that, uh, the end times are near. And, uh, so, um, Anyway, there was another uh, book that was very famous back in the, let's say, 80s or so, The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And he's another devotee of this idea that the, the world is going to end and we can see all the signs now that it's going to end. Well, in a sense, in a very limited sense, they're right. The world is going to end at some point. But may I suggest to you that we be less concerned about when the world is going to end and that we be much more concerned about when our world is going to end and will we be ready to meet the Lord? So, that's the big question, uh, but we spend far too much time trying to read in the the end of times, and as we saw Jesus say once again in the in Matthew's Gospel, hey, nobody knows when when this is going to happen. And in fact, in chapter five of this first Thessalonians, he starts out in verse two, he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief at night, so nobody knows when when this is going to happen. But I do want to develop this rapture theory a little bit more and show you some of the problems that are inherent in, in that. But for now, I want you to recognize that no one, no Catholic, no Protestant, no one taught this theory until about 1850. So in other words, it, it missed all of the last, uh, you know, it, it it missed the first eighteen hundred and fifty years of Christianity. So I think, if Christ really wanted us to know uh, these things and to be to to know that no Christian would have to suffer in in, uh, in serving the Lord, even in the Book of Revelation, uh, he he would have made that clear to us uh, much 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 earlier. Uh, I would just say that Christians continue to suffer for their faith and will continue to suffer for their faith until Christ comes again. So, uh, I'm going to devote a little time in the next session to that only because of the media attention that this rapture theory has developed. Um, I will also encourage you to get a hold of a book if you really want to read more about this it's called The Rapture Trap, and it's by Paul Figpen. It's, uh, it's published by Ascension Press, A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N Press. So if you're that interested, you could go to a Catholic bookstore or perhaps online if you like, and you can get a hold of that book. But we'll talk more specifically about what the Church has to say about this in our next session. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that Paul was diligent in continuing to work with this church in Thessalonica, even though we saw in Acts chapter 17 how poorly he was treated there. And we are reminded in our own efforts to talk to others about you that we will frequently be rejected, but we are to love our fellow man, and we are to reach out to them in love. And uh, the most loving thing that we can do for someone is to get them to um, to accept that they need to have a relationship with you. So, um, And we are comforted, as Paul says in, in these verses about the Christian dead, that we can look forward to our own resurrection. Uh, we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.